Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 11 to 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious truth in your word. We ask for help this morning. I ask for help to preach your word in a, in a way that is worthy of you, that glorifies you, that honors you. Father, we ask that the Spirit would come and apply the word to each and every heart here, and that those who don't know you this day would come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If I were a lawyer standing up here, telling you that someone left you an inheritance. And I was going to read to you what this inheritance is. How eagerly would you pay attention to what I have to say? If you, if you woke up in the morning and you, you received a text message on your phone saying that, that someone has left you an inheritance, do you want to know the details? How many of you would say no? Of course we would want to know. We'd want to sit there and listen with eager anticipation to hear about this great inheritance we have been left. Well, this morning we learn about a far greater inheritance than any man on earth could leave. So let us first look at an inheritance received. Paul says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. This, again, is another blessing that Paul is praising God for. As, as I've said many times, verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence in the Greek and is written as a praise to God. Verse 3, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So far, Paul has praised God for choosing us before the foundation of the world to make us holy and blameless, for predestining us for adoption as sons. He's praised God for redeeming us by the blood of Christ, setting us free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. He praises God for showering us with grace and, and wisdom and insight and for making the mystery of his will known to us, this, this great plan to reunite all things under the lordship of Christ. And now Paul is praising God for giving us an inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Who is him in him? 
This refers to Christ. Paul has emphasized many times in this section that, that outside of Christ, there, there are no spiritual blessings. Everything that we receive good, we receive through Christ. This is abundantly clear in this section. And now when Paul talks about this inheritance, this is also only in Christ, only because of Christ. Now, if you recall, when we looked at the doctrine of adoption here in Ephesians, that this inheritance we obtain is related to adoption. God has not only saved us from our sins, but he brought us into his royal family, making us sons and daughters who receive an inheritance. And it is because of this adoption that we have the legal right to inherit. Consider this again. God could have said, you are declared righteous in my eyes, meaning you are no longer guilty of my wrath, but we're we're going to just leave it there. God didn't do that. He said, not only have I declared you righteous, but I now bring you into my family through adoption and and give you the right to inherit. God provides his inheritance. He provides an inheritance to us because of his mere grace. And what is this inheritance that we have obtained? Well, let us look at a few verses that describe this. Hebrews 9.15 Speaking of Christ, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then our Lord says, referring to the the judgment, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Our inheritance is eternal, incorruptible, undefiled. It does not fade away and it is reserved for us in heaven, prepared for us before the foundation of the world, is what Paul says, and what is said throughout the scriptures. We can consider Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had, had passed away and the sea was no more. And then he says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is describing our inheritance, part of our inheritance. Eternity with Christ in in a world that is no longer cursed by sin. No more death, no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying, no more suffering. Pure joy, delight in the presence of Christ. Thomas Case said this about heaven. To the weary it is rest, to the banished home, to the scorned and reproached glory, to the captive it is liberty, to the soldier it is conquest, and to the conqueror it is a crown of life, of righteousness and glory, to the hungry it is hidden manna, to the thirsty the fountain of life, to the grieved fullness of joy, and to the mourner pleasures forevermore. I want you to think for a moment. 
about your own infirmities. Perhaps some of you were born with infirmities that you would not get rid of until you die. Or perhaps some of you have gained infirmities later on in life. Maybe you have chronic pain that simply won't go away and and there is no cure for it. And you understand that for the rest of your days on earth, you will have pain. Perhaps the things you are experiencing are in your mind. Memories burned, engraved into your mind. And, And although you can have some relief in Christ, you understand that these things will not leave you here on this earth. Young people, this may be difficult for you to understand. You, you, you look at life with, with no pain and, and no suffering, and, 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 and everything is just so awesome. Why, why would anyone want to go someplace else? Life is amazing. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to a nursing home, and I want you to find an elderly saint who is lying in a bed, whose eyes and ears are fading away. They can't really see, can't really hear, whose mind is fading away. They can no longer think and and no longer remember people, no longer remember their Lord, who no longer has strength in their bones, unable to sit up, unable to grab things, can no longer hold their their bladder or their bowels, can can no longer do do anything for themselves, they can no longer eat, so so they have a tube that is feeding them in in a tube giving them hydration. What is left for them in life? To be put into a box and dropped into a hole. What is their hope? It's not going to get better for them here. Their their body is no longer healing itself. They are are dying. What is their hope? The Christian who receives a a diagnosis of stage 4 cancer and told they have a few months to live, their body consumed. What is their hope? The Apostle Paul, sitting in prison as he's writing this letter, not knowing if if, if he's going to lose his life, what is his hope? A glorious inheritance. The the, the apostles and, and other martyrs throughout history were put to death for their faith, devoured by, by, by lions and tigers and, and bears, burned on crosses to light the streets of Rome at night. What was their hope? As the apostle Paul said, if we have hope in this life only, we are of, we are of all men the most pitiable. The hope of the apostle Paul and the martyrs throughout history, and the elderly saint dying in the nursing home, and the person with stage four cancer, their hope is the same hope of every Christian, that we have obtained an inheritance that will be received in full, not in this life, but in the life to come. That their hope is that they have inherited a glorified 
body and a glorified mind that they will receive at the return of Christ. And this does not teach us to to seek heaven, to, to avoid all earthly suffering. No, Christ enables us to endure suffering and profit from it here in this life. But, but, but the hope that we shall one day be free of these things is a good and a biblical hope that we need to remember. This is what Paul is praising God for. A man sitting in prison. Maybe a life going to end soon. And he's praising God. Why? Because we have obtained an inheritance. But, but Paul, I've, I've taken away everything from you. You are in my prison. And you only have what I give you. No, I have an inheritance, eternal, incorruptible, undefiled, unable to be touched by Caesar or any other man on earth. Secondly here, why have Christians obtained such a glorious inheritance? Why, why do we get such a glorious inheritance? Is it because we are better than other people as Christians? Of course not. Is it because we are simply good people, so God gives us an inheritance? No, we are born children of wrath as others. So what then did we do to earn this glorious inheritance? Nothing at all. Well, why then did we receive it? Paul gives us two reasons. First of all, it was God's will. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That is a mouthful, isn't it? Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ian Hamilton says that the inheritance of the richest of God's grace in Christ has come to us not because we deserve it in any way. We are by nature children of wrath just as others. Ephesians 2.3 What we deserve from God is His righteous wrath, not a glorious inheritance, and yet we have obtained this inheritance. How could this be? Because God predestined that we would obtain it. This is what he says. God predestined that we should obtain this inheritance. That that means before the world was even created, God, knowing that we would be wicked sinners, determined to bless us with a glorious inheritance. What an amazing thing. We say, well, perhaps it was because God looked into the future and saw our goodness. Paul says, predestined. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. No, God did not look into the future and see that we were good people worthy of being blessed. What he did, he did to fulfill his own purposes according to his own plan to accomplish his own will. This is possibly one of the strongest statements of God's sovereignty in Scripture. 
Just back to back to back. Everything he's saying, God's will, God's counsel, God's plan. It has nothing to do with man. Why have we obtained an inheritance? Because God willed it. Again, quoting Hamilton, he says he works in accordance with a preconceived plan. He is not influenced by any or he is not influenced by anything or anyone outside himself. He does all he pleases. And this is why there can never be a trace of self-congratulation in a Christian's thinking or behavior. Why do you have an inheritance? He predestined that you would. He worked all things out according to his plan, according to his will. This had nothing to do with anything that we have done. The only reason the Christian is a Christian who has obtained an inheritance is because God willed for it to be so. You know, people often accuse Christians of being judgmental. That They say you are judging us because you, you, you think that you are better than us. No. As Christians, we don't think we are better than others. We, we recognize that, that we were the vilest of sinners, but, but God, being rich in mercy, made a plan to, to change our hearts, to redeem us, to save us, and to give us a glorious inheritance. We understand that it was all God and none of us. Because of God's will. What is the second reason why we obtain an inheritance? For God's glory, Paul says. Look at verse 12. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We, we, we often are so man-centered. And people say, look at the great worth of man, that, that God would die on the cross for, for, for glorious man. That this is how we think sometimes. But, but why did God do this? He said, for his own glory, for the praise of God's glory. This is why. This inheritance is given. To, to the praise of God's glory. If you are a Christian here today, God has saved you and given you an inheritance that he may be glorified through doing this for you. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that we would be hell-deserving sinners in danger of wrath with no hope of salvation. But of his own will, he chose to save people out of his love for us, to bring glory to himself. What a good and gracious and merciful God. That, that, he would, that he would choose to be glorified through redeeming sinners such as us and giving us eternal life with him. Because here is the hard reality. God will be glorified whether he blesses us or damns us. Do we recognize that? Good judges are not only praised when they set the innocent free, but they're praised when they punish the wicked. God could receive glory through giving us an eternal inheritance or through damning us, and he has decided to bring glory to his name by saving us. Dear friends, we are the recipients here. Did you understand? We, we've done nothing to, to, to merit this. 
And we can't even say, well, well God saved me because, because he would be more glorified by saving me than by damning me. The only reason he saved me was because he wanted to, 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 to show his glory in saving someone. He could just as equally be glorified through damning you. Either way, he will be glorified. And yet, he still decided to save us for his own glory. And thirdly, how, how do we obtain this inheritance? We, we know something of what this inheritance is and, and why God gives it to his people. But how do we come to obtain it? Look at verse 12 again. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now who does Paul mean by we here? Because there's actually a shift in these verses that we need to pay attention to. In verse 12 he said, so that we who were the first to hope. And then in verse 13 he says, in him you also. So, so now he's making a distinction. We who were the first to hope. And then he says, you also. When Paul says, we who were the first to hope, he, he is talking about the Jews. The, the gospel was first given to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Calvin puts it this way. Hitherto he has spoken generally of all the elect. He now begins to take notice of separate classes. When he says, we have obtained... He speaks of himself and of the Jews, or perhaps more correctly, of all who were the first fruits of Christianity. And afterwards, he comes to the Ephesians. So throughout this epistle so far, he, he says us or, or we, and he's referring to Christians in general. And now he makes a distinction between Jew and Gentile. Why does he do this? I think he does this for two reasons. Number one, to, to show the Jewish converts were recipients of sovereign grace just like the Gentiles. There's no distinction. Paul's a Jew coming to Gentiles, preaching a gospel to them. And what he wants them to know is that, that I'm not special because I'm coming to you first. I am a recipient of divine, sovereign grace, just like you are. And secondly, Paul wanted to show that the means of salvation was also the same for everyone. Jew and Gentiles are saved the exact same way, and they receive eternal life from God by the exact same means. Watch what Paul does here. Verse 12. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. How did Paul and the Jews receive salvation? By hope in Christ. And then he says in verse 13, And him that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So how did the Gentiles receive salvation? By hearing the gospel and believing in Christ. Hope in Christ. No distinction. Jew and Gentile. Which means every human on earth receives salvation and an inheritance from God only through faith in Christ. There is no other way. Doesn't matter who your parents are. Doesn't matter your lineage. Hope in Christ. Faith in Christ is the only way. This applies to us right here today. And this text has major implications. I want you to think about this. 
This text assumes that only those who have heard the gospel and believed in Christ, who hope in Christ, will receive this inheritance. What does everyone else receive? What are to become of those who do not receive eternal life with Christ? The Bible, the, the, the gospel, which Paul calls, listen to this, the word of truth teaches us that those who die guilty of their sins without faith in Christ must spend an eternity paying for those sins in hell. All sin must be paid for. And our sin debt is so great, so massive that we could never pay it off. So that those who die without faith in Christ will spend all of eternity paying a debt they can never satisfy. This is the inheritance of those who don't know Christ. This is the inheritance of the wicked. This is the inheritance of those who reject Christ in this life. But Paul says there's good news. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, born of a virgin, to live and die in our place. He lived life in perfect obedience to God's law and, and then died a death, taking upon himself our sins, suffering the wrath of God for us. How could Jesus do this? If we would have to spend eternity trying to pay off our sins, how, how could Jesus just, just take it for us? Because Jesus was not just a man. Jesus was fully God and fully man so that he could pay for sins that we could never pay for. So that when we trust in, in Jesus for salvation, God applies our sin debt to Jesus Christ and, and he gives us his righteousness. J Jesus took the inheritance that was due to the wicked, which is the curses of the law, and Jesus became a curse for us, drinking down the Father's wrath, suffering the perilous inheritance that the wicked has earned so that we can become children of God and receive a good inheritance from God. Jesus did this for you and I, dear friends. Paul calls this the word of truth. Not, not a word of opinion. Not just a word of truth. But the word of truth truth and he says not only is it the word of truth but it is the gospel of your salvation the good news of your salvation this is good news because this is how we are saved from the wrath of God we are saved by by hearing what Jesus has done for us and trusting in him for salvation and turning away from our sins 
I want you to realize, dear friends, that, that, that at this very moment, each and every one of us here is headed for a destination. There is no one in here who is not going to receive an inheritance when they die. But not everyone is going to receive this good inheritance. If you don't know Christ, listen, you're not on your way to receiving this eternal inheritance. If you do not know Christ, you are headed to a dreadful place, an eternity of suffering the wrath of God. And perhaps after a hard and difficult, painful existence on earth, you will spend eternity in a place that is far worse than any suffering you could imagine in your wildest dreams on earth. And your worst suffering, your worst day of suffering on earth would be like heaven compared to the suffering you will experience. But if you trust in Christ for salvation, not only does God help you in your suffering in this life, but, but you are headed for a, a glorious inheritance of, of eternal joy and peace in the presence of a glorious Savior. Spurgeon said, we shall enter into a state of complete rest and perfect peace, a state of holy delight and of serene and blissful activity, a state of perfect praise, a state of satisfaction. We shall be supremely blessed, for at the right hand of God there are pleasures forevermore. Dear friends, God offers this inheritance to you this very day. He sets before you two choices. The inheritance of the wicked or the inheritance of the sons of God. And he commands you to make a choice. Repent of your sins and turn to Christ for salvation. Or inherit the inheritance designated for the wicked. He offers this to you freely today. But this offer will not always stand because, dear friends, no matter what happens here in this life, each and every one of us will, will die and we cannot escape this inheritance, whether it be, be good or bad. But he offers it today. Paul goes on here to, to, to add the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday. He, he then goes on to talk about how this inheritance is, is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. But, but, but we won't get into that point today. We'll, we'll save that for next time. But I want to apply this to us. We, we talked about this glorious, eternal inheritance that we will receive. And here's the question. How should this affect our lives as believers? Because this is an area where I think it's very easy for, for us to get off balance. What do we do with this glorious doctrine so some will take this doctrine and say, I'm going to move to a mountain, into a monastery. And I'm going to meditate on the glories of heaven 20 hours a day until I die. I'm going to escape this world and just meditate upon this glorious heaven. There's a problem with that. James says that pure religion is not just about keeping oneself unspotted from the world 
But it is also about putting our faith into action by caring for the the most needy in society. And and Jesus said that we are to be making disciples of all nations and teaching them to to obey all that he has commanded. And as we saw last week, we we are called as believers to be filling the earth and cultivating and subduing for the glory of God. So so we're not given the option to just sit in our room and in our study and, and just keep to ourselves and think about heaven for the rest of our lives. This is imbalance. This is one ditch that we can fall into. Trying to escape the world. Using heaven as an escape. But there's also another ditch. Another ditch that I'm particularly prone to fall into myself. Those who are, who are zealous and, and filled with energy and, and, and passion to, to see Nations and cities, one for Christ to, to, to see God's kingdom come here on earth as, as it is in heaven. There's this, this temptation to, to not even think about heaven and to just put that aside as though it is some afterthought that, that doesn't really matter. And there can be a very real temptation to despise even our inheritance and say, I don't care about that. Imagine God saying, here is your glorious inheritance. And you say... That's fine. I'll look at that later. That's okay. uh, just, just give me that later. No, this is something that Paul praises God for. This coming inheritance that is guaranteed to us. Dear friends, do we praise God for this? I think Paul can give us some balance here. Listen to, the, listen to Paul wrestle through these things in his own mind. For to me to live is, is Christ. But, but to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, that, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I, I cannot tell, for, for I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Do we believe that? I, I know, you, you're just waiting for me to preface that. But do we actually believe that? That no matter how good things are here, no matter how much work we have to do here on earth, that that to depart and be with our Savior, who we are working for right here and now, would be far better. This is the thought in Paul's mind. But then he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul says, I don't know which is better. To to die and be with Christ or or to live and and bear fruit for Christ. This is the real tension in Paul's mind. These are tensions we need to wrestle with. These should be two realities that live in our minds that we long to be with Christ. But we love Christ so much that we long to see his will done on earth. We long for others to come to know him. We need to be balanced here. Again, longing to to receive our inheritance and zealous to see the kingdom advanced on earth. And I would argue that, that understanding the inheritance that awaits us should actually motivate us to greater 
service on earth. How many of us can say that heaven is our motivation to advance the kingdom on earth? Listen to what Spurgeon says. My horse invariably comes home in less time than he makes the journey out. He pulls the carriage with a hearty goodwill when his face is towards home. Should not I also both suffer and labor the more joyously because my way lies towards heaven? We can labor and work to advance the kingdom here on earth with more joy and more zeal and even with a lack of fear knowing that we are heading to an inheritance. What gave men like William Tyndale, for example, the courage to translate the Bible at the expense of his own life? Where did those men send William Tyndale to receive his inheritance? Why could you not stop the Apostle Paul from preaching the gospel as we saw in Acts? Why could you not prevent Peter and John from preaching the gospel with zeal and with joy and with gladness? Because if you kill them, they just obtain more of their inheritance. This should remove our fear. The doctrine of heaven should not make us want to just leave earth with, 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 with all the work to be done. No, the doctrine of heaven should, should give us more joy and zeal and our labors here on earth, knowing that no matter what happens to us, we have a glorious inheritance. Let me prove this to you. How many of you have a, a little bit more pep in your step at work the day before you go on vacation? Everything is easy that day. You, all of the chaos going on, you don't even care. You're just like, yeah, whatever, I'm going tomorrow for the next two weeks, whatever. Every, everything can wait. And people say to you, why are you so happy? I'm going on vacation tomorrow. And you're just active. You're, you're getting all of that work done, and you're just, you're, you're, you're focused, you're, no distractions, just getting my work done with, with joy and zeal because I know what's coming. That is the way in which we should live our lives as Christians. No matter how dark it is, no matter what this world is like when we leave it, we have a glorious inheritance in waiting for us. And as Spurgeon said, we can even suffer more joyfully because our way lies towards heaven. Dear friend, suffering is meant to sanctify us and, and to cause us to lean upon Christ. So that on the one hand, do not waste your suffering. Understanding that God is using it to, to form you into the image of Christ. But, but on the other hand, you can be joyful in your suffering, knowing that it will not last forever. I'll give you an example. I can remember... As a young boy, I watched my father die. He died when I was 12 years old. And I can remember as probably a nine-year-old boy sleeping in the bed with my sick dad so that 
my mom could sleep upstairs in a room by herself so that she could work. My, my father would need help throughout the, throughout the night, so I, so I would sleep there, and I would try to help this, this, this grown man who, who was a heavyset man get out of his bed and, and sit on a, a portable toilet and do all of these different things, and I can remember dropping him on the floor. A nine-year-old boy trying to, to hold this grown man, and I can remember him just falling out of my, my hands, and I couldn't hold him, and, and he falls to the floor, and I can't get him up. And I can remember him in utter desperation, just, just crying out to God, saying, God, just take me now. Can, can you imagine that suffering? Being a man only in your late 40s, without the strength to get off the floor and depending on a nine-year-old boy to lift you up. And he's crying out to God, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Just take me. What, what is the proper response to that? With, with every felt weakness there, with every fiber of that weakness it is to drive you to Christ, with, with, with every feeling of suffering in your body, it is meant to drive you to lean upon Christ who is strong. But even in that, dear friend, and all of your suffering and all of your pain, we still hold out this hope that it won't always be that way. <laughs> that, that let it drive you to Christ to lean upon Him here and now. But, but keep in mind the hope that He loves you so much that He has given you an inheritance which will no longer include pain or suffering or mourning or weeping or death. This is our hope. This is our inheritance. So let us declare with the Apostle Paul, praise God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, including this glorious inheritance that we have already begun to experience. And we'll experience more fully when we die. And we'll ultimately experience in His fullness when Christ returns. And may the hope of this suffering, this inheritance rather, cause us to suffer and to labor with joy and zeal and gladness for the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious inheritance you have left for us. May we not, be, may we not only be overwhelmed because of how glorious this inheritance is, but may we also be overwhelmed at the fact that the only reason we receive it is because it was your will. For your glory. Father, we are overwhelmed at your goodness, at your mercy, at your grace. And Father, we desperately ask you that those who, who at this moment are not recipients of this blessed inheritance, that they would 
Turn to Christ in salvation this very day. Fleeing from their sins. And desperately trusting in Jesus for salvation. And Father, may the glorious hope of this inheritance not cause us to be idle, but to be zealous and joyful in the midst of our suffering and with all the labor that you've given us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to